Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Sake on Air, the podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, and together with your other hosts here on the show, over the next few months, in addition to our regular bi-weekly programming, we'll be occasionally dropping re-releases of past episodes on topics that we haven't really touched on in a number of years, and that we feel deserve just a little extra bit of attention. This week, we're revisiting an episode from back in April of 2020, where we were exploring the joy of kanzake, also often commonly referred to as warm or hot sake. As we now officially roll into the winter season, and also as kanzake is gradually beginning to finally get some more of the positive attention that it deserves, now felt like it was a worthwhile time to revisit this timeless form of sake enjoyment. If you've been listening to us since way back in 2020, then this will be a chance for you to revisit a bit of warm sake just in time for the holidays. If you're a new listener, well, then it's new to you. This holiday season, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for following along with us here at Sake On Air and for just loving sake and shochu. We hope you have a very happy and healthy holiday season, and we'll be back with more brand new Sake On Air for you in just a week. Until then, kanpai. The people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... So here we are. Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of Sake on Air, the world's first and only podcast dedicated to exploring and expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic beverages, sake and shochu, and aomori as well. We are recording here at the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center here in the heart of Tokyo. My name is Justin Potts, one of your hosts here on the show. Today I am joined by Mr. Shochu on my right, Christopher Pellegrini. Hello, Justin. Christopher Thank you for joining us here this evening. Absolutely, my pleasure. I had a lot of free time. I'm sure yeah, you all can understand why. All, all of a sudden, yeah, usually I email you and I'm like, so are you free any of these days? And you're like, I might be able to come this day. And this time I emailed you and you're like, take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got like, nothing perfect. to do, folks. Perfect. We should just record a whole handful of episodes. So that's kind of that's what we're doing here. Um, to my left here, Marie Nagata, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, you you seem busy, however, amongst all this all this chaos. Right. I'm now juggling between a sake-centric work and in a non-sake-related work, and that yeah. other non-sake-related yeah. work is just throwing out a whack with yeah. all of the recent virus spread. And yeah, just a lot of rescheduling of things without really knowing where the, the final destination is. Yeah. But I guess... You know, in this uncertainty, yeah. we find solidarity. Right? Mm-hmm. It is. We're all in together. And also, Mr. Chris Hughes. Hello. How you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Thanks very much. Yeah, like everyone else, just I've been teleworking, which is pretty rare in Japan, right? You don't mm-hmm. you don't really telework in Japan. It's a new thing. Yeah, that's, been, that's been a lot of fun, you know? Companies to... have been like toying with the idea yeah. because they thought it was the cool new thing to do a remote yeah. work or telework. And I think the recent coronavirus forced everyone to to really act up on to it. To adapt. Mm. Yeah. So but, how are you uh, finding it? For the most part, that's gone okay. And trying just trying to stay focused is the hard part, you know, surrounded by so much sake paraphernalia in my room. <laughs> you know, it's hard to stay focused on, on the work at, yeah. on the work at hand. This um, particular drink I call working from home. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, on that note, I guess it's 
worth mentioning that as of right now, I mean, Japan has taken a lot of measures with regards to quote unquote social distancing. Mm-hmm. But at this point, at the point where time when we're recording this, um, there aren't a lot of major restrictions in place. No. Um, they're you know suggesting that people don't ride the trains during rush hours. They're offering people more flex time. And it's generally much quieter. But yeah. yeah, that could change at any time. So we'll there's, see. there's a significant drop. There's been a significant drop in tourists in in Tokyo, hasn't there? And it's I, I have a lot oh, of friends. Who, yeah. I have a lot of friends who are running, you know, tours or you know, tourist based business. Um, let's give a shout out to them. You know, yeah. we're thinking about you, and yeah. you know, we we hopefully we can get back on track once this yeah. thing has uh, finally overcome. Yeah, this. that's where we're at. So, um, what are we drinking, Justin? This is the straight up super duper budget line Jumbaishu um, from Hakumi Masamune and she's woke up who are strong advocates for the world of kanzake mm. or warm sake, Ooh. hot sake, which is our topic for today. Ah. We're squeaking this in right at the very end of uh, the chilly season uh, before things yep. get too warm. So I think we're I think we're still okay there. Kanzake is good in the summer as well. Kanzake is good in the summer. Yeah, I, it is. I, I agree. Ice cubing, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like having a curry in the summer and then having a glass of water after the curry. It's the same effect. Interesting. Yeah. It is. Well, it's, yeah. I don't know about everywhere, but like here in Japan, it like they blast the air conditioners and stuff in yeah, the summer. It's really mm. intense. Or like, and it's actually really nice to actually have warm sake. Um. So anyway, kanzake. So this is something we've been an, a topic mm. that we've been meaning to get to for a while because it is important and it's very unique and significant in the realm of sake and. There's um, a couple things. So for, over the show, we want to kind of de- demystify some of the preconceptions mm. and misconceptions surrounding warm sake and hot sake. And the story around warm sake is actually evolving really, really quickly, uh, especially recently in just the last 10 years or so. It has sort of a long, rich history, while at the same time, it's it's a, it's evolving um, currently uh, a great deal. And so the kind of sift through some of those, um, some of the information out there and, um, and clarify so that people um, feel comfortable exploring uh, more of the w- depth and breadth of the world of Kanzake. And then sort of how that all ties into what, what's happening here in Japan, uh, as well as internationally. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the methods that are used um, with regards to warm sake, warming sake, as well as some of the tools as well. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about how the flavors uh, change. Mm. As the as the temperature rises and lowers, that's the plan. Sounds um, good. But before before we dive in, what what's everybody seems to have their own relationship to warm sake, uh, both in Japan and outside Japan. I'm just sort of curious. Anybody? What's Marie? What's your? Do you have any memorable experiences or formative experiences that lingered with you for better or for worse? Um, yeah, definitely for the better. Um, I'm rather new, but, you know, I'm the first to admit that earlier on in my sake career, I did say, oh, you don't want to warm up your premium sake. You know, um, I was just starting to get people aware and educated about, you know, ginjo and different types of more floral premium sake. And I didn't, I knew about Kanzake, and that it didn't always mean, you know, bad sake is warmed up, but it was just too much information for me to deliver. And I think for most of the people that I dealt with at the time to digest properly. So I would just kind of make a simplistic statement. You know, you don't want to make mild wine with your best 
Bordeaux, right? So you do the same with sake. So now that I'm slowly getting into the whole like science and the art of kanzake, um, I couldn't be farther from the truth. But redemption. Yeah, I guess so. Redemption. <laughs> how about how about you, Chris? I would I would say my first kind of knowledge, if you like, the first time I knew that sake could be warmed was a James Bond film. I think some of our listeners may know it. Uh, you only live twice mm-hmm. in that film. Uh, I think Sean Connery orders some shake, um, <laughs> and um, he 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 had says something about it being warm, right? And about sake should be drunk warm or whatever. And that's the first time you know I ever you know came across that. Do you like Japanese sake, Mr. Bond, or would you prefer vodka martini? Oh no, I like sake, especially when it's served at the correct temperature. 98.4 degrees Fahrenheit, like this is... For a European, you are exceptionally cultivated. And then, I mean, the first impressions I had before I started working in London were pretty bad ones. Whenever I had sake warm, it, they were just, it was just a way of making bad sake look slightly better, right? But when I started working in London in the imports that I worked for, I was introduced to the, the joys of warm sake by uh, Morino Kura, um, they make some great shochu. Now, as well. I, I'm I looked a, I'm a fan. on the website before coming here, but it doesn't look like they have the same range. They used to have a blue label sake mm-hmm. and a red label sake. The blue label sake should be served chilled. And then the red one is to be warmed up. But they were essentially the same sake, right? One for chilling, one for warming up. And that, that was my first experience. I actually put both of them out. That was my first experience of like, you know, how what is essentially the same sake can taste so different. Morino Kuro will do that to you. Yeah. Christopher, how about you? I, it didn't start well. I was a few times back in the 90s the unfortunate recipient of basically sake that had gone off and they were still serving it. And the way to serve it was heated up and they were, they were scorching it. And my opinion was just that sake is not good. Yeah. So, and I kept that with me until I came to Japan. Um, so, but then after coming to Japan... Of course, went to a couple of places. And my, my thing was, all, and I, to this day, I just, if I'm going to drink warm sake, I want to see the bath behind yeah. the, on the counter. If I don't see that with the little tin cups, I ain't drinking it, yeah. right? Because I don't know how you guys are going to do it. Right. Um, so, but when I see that, I'm like, ah, somebody here knows how to heat sake mm. properly. Yeah. And I have come over to the heated side, yeah. like... Marie hasn't. Yep. And it's, it is very, very nice. And I agree with Chris. Warmth, even in July and August, it's a phenomenal thing. And I'm a big proponent of Oyuari, yeah. um, you know, basically hot water mixed shochu. I drink that year in, year out. Yeah. But yeah. it took me a little while to get there. No thanks to those unfortunate air quotes, izakaya experiences <laughs> in the, the United States back in the 90s. And it's it's and I think that that's that's probably a similar experience for for a lot of folks. And it's, unfortunately, yeah, it, it really is. You know, um, how did it, you get into the whole thing of oh, kanzake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, me, just yeah, yeah, yeah. We you missed your story. Yourself yeah. are a bit of a kanzake yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. proponent. Yeah, I'm, com- yeah I'm not gonna ambassador. lie. I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm, I'm on that train. So I didn't really have a strong association of sake being warm. I knew that that was something, but. I was never a super adventurous eater up until 
partway through probably university or so. I, I wasn't going out and ordering it at restaurants or things like that. So I didn't really have that experience. And so my experience wasn't really until I came to Japan. And whether I loved the flavor or not, none of it was bad. And I found that warm sake led to just a, it just felt good. So when I would go out drinking, sometimes I would order something chilled, sometimes I would order something warm. I didn't know what I was ordering because I didn't speak Japanese and I didn't have any money and I didn't know where I was going. So it was probably <laughs> yeah. nothing too fancy, but it was a pleasurable experience. Um, but it wasn't until then about probably close to about 10 years ago or so now when I started getting more in, proactively into uh, learning about this beverage that has brought me so much happiness. And I just had a couple of folks say, oh, you know, if you like this sake, I know a couple places that serve that warm and only warm. And it's amazing. It's a completely different beast. And I was like, and, and I got the, and I got the same instruction as well too. When you go out and start learning that, you know, premium sake is only served, mm. you know, chilled. And I, I was getting the same education. I was like, but I still kind of enjoy the warm stuff. I don't know, whatever, fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then I was taken out, you know, to these places and, I, and it was just, just blew my mind. It was this whole world of flavors and profiles that I had never encountered in my life mm. and realized that, I couldn't encounter another in any other way, shape, or form. And at that point, I was just, I was hooked. And I was like, how far can you take this? You know, yeah. how far does this go? And it's just, it only gets more and more exciting. So I, I saw a video once that the Saki industry made. Maybe you might have seen those. That there's a guy for like 10 minutes just like showing the supposed traditional correct way of, of serving warm sake. And it's all very kind of like, it's almost like a performance, like a theatrical yeah. performance. Well, and that's, and you know, and that's a really, I think significant part of warm sake service is the performance is really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful to watch. It is. You were talking about, you know, do they have the, the, the hot bath. water bath? Yeah. Is it, is yeah. it present or not? Is, is that steam? With Can those you see little that steam from cups? behind the yeah. camera, you know, one, it signifies that they care enough to, to put that in there. But then the, not just having that, but the performance associated with that, the selection of tools used to heat, to serve, all of those things really add to an experience that is totally unique. Mm. Yeah. And being able to take that in as part of the um, the dining experience, the drinking experience. And then, and it's fun at home too. It is. So for people who are grounded at home right now this and who cool are thing. up until now are like, yeah. it's a bit too much of a pain in the... Patoot? Whatever, patu yeah. to you know warm things up. Take the time. Now now's the good time to yeah. experiment. No better time than now. Right? Yeah. Right? Than the present. Um, and for those of you listening to the show um, that don't have the right tools and the kits and the, the gadgets mm -hmm. to do so, um, I guess one personal tip is I use a tea mug yeah. that's mm -hmm. got like a ceramic lid on mm -hmm. it. And then I use that to bay marie my sake and then I just kind of sip and test the temperature as I mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. So you just fill a saucepan of water, basically, and just kind of like yeah. heat up to its temperature, take it off heat. the heat, and yeah. then yeah, and then yeah. put a teacup with a lid on it with yeah. sake, yeah. and you know, put a little more sake than you you think to serve because you might yeah. as well um, test it out and sip on the way. Yeah, you don't yeah. need anything special, really, right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of run down what the standard tools are mm. that you see, or they're generally out there that are used, um, but there are a lot of other variations, and it doesn't mm. have to be hard. And so whatever is simple and best for you. Is, is great. And in general, if you don't have access to tokuri, chirori, you know, these different sake-specific glassware, tea stuff works wonders. Yeah. Those are two worlds that started in the same place and exactly. diverged. 
And so what I often tell people is if they're looking for, oh, I want a cool, like good tokuri or good glass for drinking sake, I say, if you don't have a, a, a sake shop or a place nearby where you can actually go and see and find something you like, if you got a tea shop, go there. Great advice. Um, yeah. The yeah, Chinese, the whole Chinese tea set is perfect, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's absolutely. reassuring to hear. Right. Yeah. You know, I thought I was just doing a college Murray sort of El Chipo no. way of DIYing it here <laughs> at home. But hey, guys, you heard it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid to test it out with your tea mugs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess the obvious, the microwave you, you can use as well. Um, yeah. I used to basically tell people don't use the microwave because it's really volatile. You know, it, you can't get to a specific temperature easily. It would end up mm -hmm. at like 55 degrees before you know what's happened. Mm -hmm. But can I just say, yeah, uh, sure. was it last year? In a festival uh, for Hyogo Sake, mm -hmm. I bumped into Kenbishi. Yep. And they have made a container for warming up in the microwave. Now, I went along, you know, very, yeah. very skeptical. And I yeah. said, you shouldn't be warming sake up in the microwave, right? You, you're advertising this? Are you sure? Is this a good idea? And he explained it to me. And they, you know, they precisely why they made this is because it's very hard to warm sake up in the microwave, yeah. but this pretty much solves the problem. Yeah. Looking at sort of the merits and demerits of choosing a microwave, the microwave in and of itself inherently shouldn't be necessarily a bad choice. The issue is that you can't monitor what you're doing. A lot of times places who aren't putting, say, energy into their sake service and they're just using a microwave to make it easy and they're just hitting the Atsukan button, that's not, that doesn't apply for every sake. Um, and so you end up with, they're doing it just for the sake of efficiency, which it is efficient, but you're not able to monitor what you're doing, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the big issue is monitoring. However, if you really take the time to figure out, we at our restaurant or at home or whatever it is, we use these vessels, we use this sake. And if you go through the process and figure out how much time you need, you can serve it really well. I've been to some places that serve amazing sake in the microwave because oh, okay. they, they carry that one sake. It's their yeah. one sake for warm sake and they care. They selected that for a reason. They know how long to do it. And it's a matter of understanding the tools that you're working with. It's not a one-stop solution with a one button. It's efficient, but it doesn't work for everything. But if you care and you take the time yeah. to figure it out, you can I think with trying out with microwave, um, I guess one tip would be to always err on the safer side. Anything heat up past its optimal is yeah. just kind of unpleasant mm -hmm. and a bit mm -hmm. disappointing. So warming sake up to like a lukewarm temperature in a microwave, which means just zapping it real quick, bringing it out, and maybe giving it a stir with a spoon mm -hmm. would work. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to make it a hotter atsukan, I would recommend going a more traditional route. Yeah. yeah, and another thing that a lot of people have is the the um, the sous vide. Yeah, totally. Have so you, you've done it that way. Yeah, I did. Overseas for tastings and stuff like that mm. works awesome because it's essentially you're mimicking what the other standard is here for. You're talking about the, the hot, hot water, water bath, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, um, and it's essentially dominated. There's one company here called Sanshing, um, mm -hmm. and they make something that's called Konsuke, and that's what you're talking about. If you see sure. that brown it is paneled, always brown brown with paneled this. box and then it has racks usually so you can set and warm your your um your, your ochoco or your vessels or whatever yeah. and it's got it's got a lot of different tools that you can use for that but it's it's a hot water bath that you can set the temperature and it will keep the temperature of the water consistent um you can then insert whatever whether it's tokuri mm -hmm. those tokuri mm -hmm. can be ceramic 
Yeah. Um, they can be porcelain. You can use chirori on these chirori that we're talking about. Let's come up a little bit. They're usually tin is the standard. Yeah, pretty much. Um, sometimes you find copper. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of aluminum ones as well. Yeah. Um, you can get aluminum ones really cheap um, and they actually work quite well. Yeah, um, the only issue with those is that they're really light. Mm. Unless you have a significant amount of sake in there, sometimes they float. So if you're just doing like a little mm. tasting, I mean, it helps to have more in there anyway. But if they've um, got like a handle on them, you can actually kind of um, hook them on the yep, side of exactly. the bath. Yep, exactly. Um, again, it depends on the shape of the bath, kind of how thick or thin the the kind of the, the walls sides are. are. The walls yep. are. Yeah. Yep, exactly. You only make the mistake of just sitting them in the water and, and, and yeah. walking off. Yeah, it's got to got to pay attention. I said, and the nice thing is, you have this bath there, right? So you're you're able to see everything that's going on. You're able to control the temperature, not just of the sake, but of the water. You can set it consistently. So even if you have several, say for example, several sakes going at the same time, you can put thermometers in each of them. You can pick them up. You can smell them. You can touch them. You can feel the tokori, feel how hot it's getting. So you can develop your own sensory perception for mm -hmm. what is appropriate as yeah. opposed to just relying on a thermometer and so you can use both of those to check back and forth so that's what that's why those are really really nice is because you can use a thermometer to look at it but you can also get that sensory perception yeah along and, with and it. a kanban can always just feel exactly. how hot that is just with by touch and yep, that's, that's another right. way that you know that you're in a good place is when yep. they're checking it with their fingers yep. Yep, just right. the side of the tin cup and yep. no thermometer involved ah yeah, I'm gonna drink the warm stuff here. Yep. It's mm. the kind of that that feel and aroma. Mm. And those things can those two things just alone can tell you so much. So you just it's the most consistent and it gives you the most versatility and it allows you to utilize all of your senses in the process. So yeah. it's considered the quote unquote standard. Yes, um, the for industry it's kind standard. of standard of quality. Yeah. And so if you don't have one of those fancy machines, like you said, the sous vide. Essentially the same thing. You can hook it up to your, a lot of them, you can connect to your cell phone, set the temperature, it's right there. Um, it's essentially the exact same thing. And so then when you are serving there, so a couple of things to keep in mind, if you're using, let's say you're using a hot water bath sort of immersion there, if you're using a tokkuri that's say porcelain or ceramic, those are going to be warm. Those are going to warm more slowly than the chirori, than the tin, than the copper, than the aluminum. Um, and that is important because the, high, the faster the temperature rises, the faster it's going to fall as well. Mm -hmm. The If you're using porcelain or ceramics or something, it's going to take a little longer to warm. But after warm, if you want to keep the temperature, if you want to yeah, keep that warm for longer, it's it's going to taper off much more slowly than um, That's tin or really aluminum cool. or something, really which, is, which is really important. The, I, the tools that you use really do make yeah. a big difference from Absolutely. a service standpoint. I think yeah. adding to that, don't forget to warm up your ochako as well. Yeah. Because... Like like we like we said, Atsukan is such a sensory, you know, involved, um, I guess, way of drinking sake that that tactile sense of how your mouth feels against that ochoko is important. Yep. Yeah, warming vessel, warming your hands. Yeah. You know, so you're not picking stuff up with cold hands, so that you're able to touch these things. If you want to maintain that temperature, cultivate an environment so that throughout the entire process, you're not touching something or moving something or shifting something that's going to force it to drop temperature really drastically. So, yeah. Um, the other one's going to be direct heat just over an open flame or gas burner yeah. or something like that. Or if you have something that can go flat on IH, just heating it directly. Um, merits super fast. Yeah. Super easy. You just stick it on there. Also, I just remembered a really cool way of warming. Mm -hmm. This is not something you can do at home. S sit on it. But 
Ah, okay. <laughs> there is that. Um, but if you go to this kind of like traditional, uh, how would you how would you describe it? It's a traditional Japanese, not a stove, but like a fire, an open fire. Car? It's called irori. Irori, yeah. right? It's like an open and hearth. The way that they yeah. warm the sake in the city, they have like a cut out bamboo, um, like uh, cane thing, yeah. right? And they they put the sake in that, and they just kind of. They just kind of it sit it like you, you stick it in the sand. Yeah, you stick it in the sand, and it's and it, it sits there warming up. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. it's Sorry, yeah. And I same idea, that. same idea. So <laughs> if you have like a, an open fire, your charcoals, you got your barbecue, you got something yeah. on a grill. I mean, that's old school. That's what we're talking about back in the back in you know a thousand years ago. Yeah, and they're saying they stuck it directly into the hearth. You know, yeah. and they set it in there. They found ways to. That's super old so school. Cool. Problem is, you're heating it directly from the bottom up. That's right. Right. So there's no even heating going on um and so it tends to get hot yeah. fast yeah and it's not very even uh so it becomes a little bit challenging to control but hell if you're out camping stick it on the grill fire it up it tastes good because you're camping so there's there's merit to that as well so yeah um the next is gonna be an electric heating pot which is like what we're using here something that you can just plug into the wall <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting angry faces for from christopher I put, you guys aren't getting along i put like 200 milliliters in there for two minutes yeah overheated it mm. i put about 130 milliliters <laughs> in there for 90 seconds it, it didn't heat it at all like what's going on with you sounds like an amazon review <laughs> <laughs> we're, not gonna, we're not gonna say the brand or anything but we are gonna put a picture of well, this thing. Thing. i don't i don't think they make this anymore this is probably like this is pretty old it looks pretty old yeah yeah um, it's a cute find, It's adorable. Though, right? The form factor is yeah. perfect. Execution, I have yeah, no Yeah, and I have used versions of these that they do shut off automatically. The engineering of these did improve over time. This is this was version probably 1.2 yeah. or something. But. And I think the or one that Chris prototype. has yeah. <laughs> at his home is one that you, sh if you are visiting Japan, go to yeah. Tokyo Hands. Go up to the, the place where they have all the barware. Yeah. And you'll see this cute little porcelain pot that kind of, it's almost like a T-fall setup. Yeah. Right. It sits on a little thing that you can control the temperature and that thing stops at a certain ten temperature. Yeah. Um, and then the last one here that I'm bringing up is actually not very common at all, but I mm. think it's worth mentioning mm, so. um, because you're starting to see it a little bit more and it's starting to be lauded for the quality of the heating um, and bringing out different properties of the sake um, in very positive ways. Um, but it's not very common um, for reasons which we'll discuss, and that's steaming. Yeah. Mm. Um, so as opposed to sitting it in water, putting it over a steamer of some sort, and as opposed to applying some sort of direct heat to it, you're applying a uniform heat through steam on all sides. So there are several brewers and breweries that have become kind of proponents of this that are going out and sort of sharing this and trying to um, proliferate this style or educate in this style. Um because it's kind of a closed unit, right? It's sealed on the top. You're not, there's no contact with the air. It's kind of in there. The water vapor kind of traps a lot of the umami and sort of flavor constituents and things in there. Um, it's a very slow pace. Um, and so at the end, it ends up, you end up getting less sort of um, astringency, um, less of some of the burnt aromas that you see in some of the quicker um, heating. You end up with a, a full flavor um, that really accentuates a greater breadth of the components, uh, the flavor components that are in there. However, generally mild um, and very soft overall. And the 
people who have tried this tend to be pretty strong advocates for this. They tend to say it's actually something pretty great. The issues, however, is that it is very slow. One, you have to steam it. You have to get it ready. You have to get that all set in there. Once you open it, steam escapes. You got to get it. You got to get it set back up in there. Mm -hmm. So it's keeping it consistent and being able to do that. That's really tough. And that takes time to set up as well as time, once you put it in there, it's going to take at least twice as much time to heat up that sake. So from a service standpoint, it's really, really challenging. Um, and then it requires a lot more space and tools. Um, so unless you've got the time and energy to invest in doing it, um, it becomes a bit of a challenge. Um, so again, for everybody camped out at home, now's the time. <laughs> Mushikang, it's your steam, your steam yeah. sake. Mushikang, yeah. give it. And now, send now's us the time your recipes. Send us your recipes. Send yeah. us your yeah, your results. Um, some photos. Um, so yeah, so if those are your heating options, what do you place that sake into in order to drink it and enjoy it? Um, what we're sipping on, what we're using right now here, is something called Hirahai. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can't see this. It's like a where... big like. Tantan men bowl or something. I don't know. Or something more a little bit like more squat it's than that. Wide yeah. wide and shallow. There you go. Yeah, it's more like a yeah. dish dish cup. Cup dish. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I always thought, you know, it, it just looks like a saucer to me. Of course, saucers are much more sure. shallow. Right? It's, a, so it's right. a very deep saucer. But... I mean, if you've watched movies or animation, if you're a big anime fan, I mean, mm. this is this is the vessel that probably comes up. It does when you, they're drinking probably, sake. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, hirahai are generally um, yeah. considered not a standard, but they're very yeah. common. Um, from a service standpoint, the advantage is you can really only fit a very small amount in mm. there, and so you're able to serve at the temperature that you're aiming for. Yeah. Um, also, sort of the shape, it sort of hits you in a different sort of spot of the mouth. It's very slow. There's Because there's it's it's wide and shallow, yeah. there's not much velocity whatsoever. Right. So it's kind of, imagine like when you, if you have like a warm cup of tea and that first sip, when you pick it, you're like hugging that cup of tea and you're just sipping that first little sip, mm -hmm. how good that is, you know? It's not traveling a distance. You're just sipping it off the top. Like it's, slurping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's kind of what that mm. and that is. Because it's the same shape as your mouth, essentially. Like all all the what I love about this Hirahai is that all the flavors kind of enter at the same time. You don't get a disparity yep. between yep. between those entrance of flavors, which yep. is really perfect for warm sake. It's right? really nice. The challenge is, however, because it is shallow and it is mm. wide, it is in contact with the air and the temperature decreases very quickly, very quickly. as well, too. Mm. Um, but because it's so small, you're because you're just sipping on it, the idea is that you will then take and just continue serving, keep pouring for yourself or for mm. whoever's around you um, regularly. So for precision service. Um, and savoring the experience as well. Like, it is. I think like drinking in small, you know, little like small volume like that is, it, it, it's, it's a great way of savoring the experience because it's not going to happen quickly, right? You, you're mm. going to have to, it's going to take a long time to get through, you know, maybe a whole tokery or something mm. using this small here to hide. But if you want to savor, that's the way to do it. Yeah. And then also say like smaller like Ochoko or Guinomi. Yeah. Um, they'll hold a little bit more. But say if you've got like a thicker like ceramic something. Yeah. Um, those are going to retain heat a little bit more as well um, than something like this. And it's still small. You're still not putting heaps in there. Um, and say so for more like full bodied sakes and things. Yeah. Something that's got a thicker rim. Those full bodied, you know, namas, you know. Yeah. Warm the, the, the gooey nomi is generally like, like it's basically like an, a choco with a heavier 
base and like mm. thicker sides and kind mm. of designed more for warm sake, isn't it? That's generally kind of like the. Although I know yeah. actually, I've been told that guinomi is actually a catch-all term for. It's, for a, it's pretty much a catch-all. Yeah. But I think I think this guinomi that we're talking about, this mm. generally is the, the the heavier base, the white, the wider sides. But again, this mm. is just like a modern sake thing, which has happened, mm. you know. And traditionally, this wasn't the case, but. Um, so yeah, so those are those are good for uh, another fantastic fantastic option. Yeah, um, and those ones are better for those like kind of more chunkier flavors, like fuller body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely fuller yeah. body. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like they don't fall apart. With they a keep rustic, the structure, right? You know, yeah, earthenware. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. so definitely. much. I mean, a part of it is science, like Chris, like you mentioned earlier, like you know, where in your tongue does it hit and all of that. Yeah. But I think another part that we must not forget is the whole experience and the tactical yeah. side of things. How you feel, like how it feels in the hand as right. well. Right, and yeah. we talked yeah. about it when we did the wine glass versus the choco yeah. episode. Yeah. But yeah, like yeah, have yeah. fun, play it out. Yep. Yeah, and absolutely. Experiment with different textures, different weight, and how it sits in your hand. And I think all of that plays plays a part in yeah. how memorable the experience can yeah. be. Absolutely. We talk a lot about in the sake production that intervention is sort of just an inherent part of the process sake service by integrating these types of things that human intervention is actually what makes it really really special mm. yeah i feel that's where you get a lot of so much individual character not just of the sake it's a lot of different individuals expression of a lot of different types of sake mm. right yeah. when you start applying different types of temperature and different vessels and different combinations and things and that's that's where it's really fun and that's mm. where you get away from these really clear defined answers and you're into that sort of world of more questions and mm. that's kind of what keeps you coming back for more i feel like and so that's kind of and, and sometimes Absolutely. some of these experiences just blow you away right i don't think though that it's a given that if you come to japan you will get a good warm sake service wherever no. you go no, no there's still a not. lot of <laughs> yep. places yeah. that don't do it well and um, we, mm. maybe at the end we, we just give a few tips on how to find a, a, yeah. a place that does it well yeah definitely because right? I mean, it is yeah. it's still pretty niche it's pretty cult definitely um but the places that are doing it are doing it on just an incredibly yeah. high level they're really yeah. they're raising the bar for what service can look mm. like they're changing the rules rewriting the rules and it's just it's super exciting so anyway we'll get into some of that um jump back a few thousand years <laughs> tell me a story right? tell you a story <laughs> right <laughs> Um, but it's 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 worth kind of going back through some of the the main historical points a little bit just to give people a little bit of context because first you got to remember historically there was either warm sake or room temperature sake cold sake did not exist no. and did not proliferate until the refrigerator became part of the standard yeah. the home which is post war so you're the, looking this, at like the this, early sixties this is what they call hia right yeah exactly so yeah, yeah this hia, is the true meaning of here right, right here so if you if you order hia um depending on the place you order it at if you <laughs> it literally means chilled or cold if you look yeah. at the character uh however hia it actually means just room temperature yeah. is what it actually refers to and so depending on the nature of the place that you're going drinking if you order sake or nihonshu hia if they are attuned to um the nature of service they'll give you they'll serve you up something room temperature if they're not they'll serve you up something that could be good nice sign. and cold that could be a good and first so sign. yeah so i guess yeah so one thing to remember is that that's right so it's only the idea of just chilled sake is, is actually super recent yeah. um, that's a super recent concept and then because of that the styles have changed we're gonna go back we'll get uh kind of back to that uh historically sort of the earliest records of it um exist in old poems poetry um, 
song, folk songs, those types of things. Um, the the oldest records uh, tend to be around uh, pre, right around sort of the Heian period, which is going to be around 1700, give or, or sorry, 700 AD, give or take a little bit. Um, the first records um, re- reference drinking a warm sake together with salt and licking salt. You still actually hear about that. Um, but that is referring to not sake specifically, but sake kasu that had been mm-hmm. diluted with hot water. So sipping that, and that has a little bit of you know alcohol in it, right? So sipping that. But then you had something called the Hakurakuten, which was a collection of poems from China, which um, really in- influenced um, the culture of the Heian period. That was something that really prol- proliferated is, is common teachings in Japan. And there were many, many references of kanzake in there. A lot of these records are from, say, late 600-something A.D. to the early 700-plus. A lot of these references are from. Then those go on to influence the uh, Heian period, which is right about 800 A.D. in the last for several hundred years. After the Engishiki, um, published in 927 A.D., so right in the midst of the Heian period. So this is basically the collection of laws and customs of Japan, which is just compiled into um, a volume. And in here, there is direct reference to the use of heating sake in some sort of a pot-like vessel directly over charcoal, over a fire. Um, We'll talk about that as a a method later. But the big influence um, going into, into the Edo era, which is when a lot of Japanese, not just sake, but food modern food culture was very much um, developed. It's going to be um, this gentleman by the name of uh, Kaibara Ekiken, or Ekken. And he's essentially, he was a Confucian philosopher, but he was actually very famous um, for his work in like botany and uh, medical pharmaceutical plant research and things of that nature. He was born into a daimyo family, one of those feudal lord families down in Fukuoka. And um, so his work was super influential. And he... I wrote it here in Japanese. I didn't put a um, a translation in here. But essentially what it says is sake served too cold, not good for you. Mm. Sake served too hot, not good for you. Mm. Sake served just warm, yeah. just right. Nudukan. Nudukan is, is ideal. His mm. teachings went on to influence how people and the enjoyment of kanzake amongst the general populace mm. using the tools that we're more f- familiar with now, the, the tokuri, the chidori. Um, those serving vessels um, in heating in like a hot water bath and things of that nature. That's when this started to proliferate in the mid late Edo period. And so his teaching there um, went on to influence um, the culture there Absolutely. a great deal. So, so around, can... around the 18, 18, 17th, 18th century, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to be probably mid, yeah, 1750 yeah. to 1850, sort of in that range. That's going to be when it really started proliferating. Mm. Um, and Edo is another major period yep like the two that we've taught to, in this podcast Heian and Edo come up a lot yeah. in, in yep. history yep. Sorry. I can already see that um, how Eken was very influential because my own grandma absolutely took a page out of his book mm. um, she would say she would say essentially the same thing about pretty much anything anything mm. served too cold or too hot is not good for your stomach yeah you should that's, have st- it that's warm. still very much that's still very <laughs> much exactly in the, like in the ethos that's really cool because like one of my um not hypothesis but like rules that i've been teaching about like whenever i get asked should sake be drink drunk hot that's always the question 
should I drink sake hot? And, you know, the answer I've been giving is that every sake, every sake sort of has like an optimum temperature. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's not too cold, not too hot. It's about finding that optimum temperature. Yeah. And for us, and for a single sake, there could be several optimal could be several temperatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, there could be two or three. Um, and yeah, and we'll get into that. We'll talk about that. Another important, in the Edo period, you've got something, there's something called the Kanban, or Kanban. And right. I want to, and I really want to introduce this because I think this is actually an important concept. Um, nowadays, all around the world, we have lots of sake sommeliers. Yeah. Right. Um, however, the number of sake sommeliers that are probably practiced in any real significant way, the art form of the Okanban, is probably very few and far between. Um, there's only a handful of them. I'd say probably just about all of them are actually in Japan. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a matter of serving sake warm, but it's the idea of, you know, seasonally as well as for the individual. What does that person need yeah. at that point? specific time um, with that food and that season at that, you know, under those specific circumstances and being able to respond to that on an individual level. Um, You know, a long time ago, Edo period, people weren't ordering. There wasn't an izakaya with a hundred different types of sake. (laughs) You know, it wasn't like, okay, this person, I I know this person really digs this stuff from, you know, Yamaguchi that is, you know, that, that didn't exist. It was, Mm. you were drinking what was there. So it doesn't have nearly the complexity, of course, that it did today, but it's a really, I think it's a really crucial element. The idea that it's not just a matter of selecting sake. It's the idea of what does this per individual need? And it's not just a matter of the physical beverage. It's the presentation. It's what are you eating? It's the season. The, it's all the food is things. massive. I read yep. in a Japanese book that the whole Okanban idea it started with the kaiseki thing, right? And then the idea was that they had to know what temperature of sake would go with each course in the kaiseki, right? Or at least that's how this book explains it. I don't know if that's actually like what was being expected of an Okanban, but that was kind of like their true, the true nature of their role. Yeah. It's really understanding like how different temperatures of sake will interact with different temperatures of food. Yeah, that's, well, that's interesting. Well, it's the same Edo period. That's when you get kaiseki and those things yeah. become makes sense, really fully it? fleshed out as a, yeah. you know, as a proposal. As a, as a, do we, as do a, we as actually a know, though, like what you need for this qualification? I mean, I did. Oh, there's, that's the thing. So there is no qualification. There is no qualification. There right? is no well, qualification. There's a brewery. So. There's a brewery. I remember, was it uh, two years ago or last year? Uh, brewery that we had do one of those. Suihiro, uh, maybe? That was it, Suihiro. So that's so funny. They had their own little qualification. So they do. A couple places do. And so <laughs> oh. does uh, Kikumasa Mune apparently does oh, too. Really? I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's really? still in effect. But yeah, but no, Suihiro. So it's funny you mentioned that. So um, talking about getting back, kind of getting back to my formative stuff, when I first discovered, and I was like, kind of, I was like wow, this is a pretty intense world. And I started searching around to try and figure out where can I learn more about this stuff. The only thing I found was this super shady, again, this was about 10 years ago, but it still looked like it was a site from about 1996, um, saying we have this Kanzake certification and we go and we teach this and we do this. We host it at the brewery and they do this. And I was looking on the site and my Japanese wasn't super hot, but I remember looking at this and like sending them an email because there's no listing of dates or times Mm -hmm. or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I mean like, let me know when you're going to do this. I want to, you know, I never heard back from anybody because it was just like this thing that they just did sometimes, mm. you know, um, and I never heard back from anybody. And right as this whole coronavirus thing hit, I was supposed to be on a business trip. I had already left for the first part of it. And basically the next day my stuff got canceled, like straight up, my plans got canceled and I was already in the city and I was like, well, shoot. Okay. I guess I opened up my Facebook and Suihiro was holding the Kanzake certification program Get the out. next day. No kidding. So what? yeah, about a, about a month ago. Yeah, this is like a month ago. And so I was like, it's on. So I went and I got my Kanzake certification. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's not a, you know, anybody, you know, anybody can do it. You, you go and you, yeah. I mean, a little passport thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah thing. I might have a, yeah, it might be in my wallet somewhere still. So yeah, bringing that back around to... 
Thank you for bringing that up. So the warm sake uh, that we're having now as we record is a Okanban certified sake. Certified, certified yeah. from the ground up. Um, so yeah, we got that. Um, after that, um, the things that are going to really start um, changing things, as sort of we mentioned before, is post-war, you get refrigeration. So that's huge. So all of a sudden, chilled sake becomes a possibility. Mm. Um, and then along with that is um, just general quality of equipment things proceed and get better polishing gets better um, right. control gets better shipping gets better just general you know everything gets better you get the jizake boom or in like the mid 70s you get the ginjo boom the ginjo in the mid 80s yeah. um, and all of a sudden everything transitions to every we want everything that we couldn't have before mm -hmm. essentially yeah. and so kanzaki just sort of falls out of fashion and it gets relegated to um People still enjoy it, but it's for Futsushu. It's for Honjozo. And those are sakes that are thoroughly enjoyable in that style. But you see this great divide happen in Japan as well, whereas Kanzaki just completely falls out of fashion. And all the high-end service and all these places really transition over to chilled stuff mm. and Ginjos and those other, you know, um, polishing rates and whatever. And then you have, you know, Chuyonde, you know, comes in and then you get the these other things, you get and they start getting the Namagen shoes and you get all these things. Mm -hmm. And so you're still on this trajectory of fresh, 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 fresh. Young, young, um, young, young. Yeah, young, fresh, whatever. And while that's continued, um, we're starting to see a little bit of a change here mm -hmm. um, in Japan here. Finally, as I was just saying, so Futsushu, Honjozo tend to be, say, oh, these are the good, good for Kanzaki. And even if you go to a lot of places yeah. now and you ask what's their, you know, what's their house Kanzaki or whatever, a lot of times it'll still be a Futsushu or a Honjo. So that's not a good or a bad thing. That's just, that's still left over some sort of a previous era. And they're, mm. and they're plenty delicious. They're plenty fine. Um, but it's also a very narrow definition um, of what's good and what's out there. Um, what you're starting to see now is more Jumai, just straight mm. up Jumai, Tokubetsu Jumai, becoming more of a standard going, wait a second, you've got some umami in here that you don't have necessarily in the same fashion, in the same composition that you have in these Futsushu and these Honjozo. Extending that Kimoto Yamaha style mm, is now yeah. really becoming really popular um, for warm sake service. And you got to remember, up until super recently, like also about like the 60s, everything was Kimoto Yamaha pretty much. Pretty Even much. until like the 60s, yeah. like Nada, like 60% or something of the sake they were producing, even in the 60s was still Kimoto. Yeah. You know, so like they weren't defining it as, nowadays we look at it and we go, oh, this is an old traditional style mm. and it falls into a category. Whereas up until then it was just everything. That was the Everything was good. <laughs> they, they, wasn't, they weren't putting a label on it. It was just sake, warm, yeah. you know, or sake, not warm. Or, mm. you know, whereas now that we have such a better understanding of the properties of that sake, as well as the um, skill for crafting that sake, it's it's a very different beast from what it was, you know, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. Um, we're rediscovering that wow, there are a lot of flavor components at work here that really lend themselves to warmer temperatures yeah. um, in really interesting and exciting ways. And so, outside of the tokute me shou scale, mm -hmm. you have this other axes over here of Kimoto Yamahai, yeah. Sokujo, and sort of those being either more suited or not so well suited. And there's great examples of both, but Kimoto and Yamahai are getting a lot of attention uh, nowadays. Um, so are there any styles that you would say don't particularly go well with heat? So the, the old story of those really 
aromatic in your face ginjos, ginjos, things like that. The higher yeast ginjos. Yeah. So I know we haven't really, well, we we touched upon it in our aroma episode briefly, but you have these kyokai kobo, these Japan Mm. society of uh, brewing yeast, which you have different numbers and the higher number yeast are the more modern ones. And they have a, like a horrible kind of bitterness to them, which really doesn't, we like, you know, well, the bitterness actually disappears when you warm them up. But anyway, the aroma kind of collapses and it kind of, you lose the higher alcohols that create these esters and you're left behind with acidity. Mm. That doesn't really gel so well. It doesn't yeah. really work so well when you warm it up. Yeah. And yeah, so with those, again, there's exceptions to there that. Are a lot of exceptions. There's always going to be exceptions. That being said, if the goal is to partake in those mm. aromas, you're going to essentially just disappoint you're, yeah you're yeah. you're gonna you're gonna kill those um, can, and can so I, it can, yeah sorry just to interrupt Go. I'm gonna, can i just say that you know um so you know i teaching wsct and and uh when we talk about you know warming sake and and so in the book it's very clear that you shouldn't warm the ginjo style mm-hmm. up it's got to be cross through it and you know every time i do these lessons we have to try and get hold of a sake that won't perform very well warm we'll, we're purposefully trying to go out and find a sake that will present itself in a negative way when warmed up can i just tell you how difficult this is becoming yeah, it is it's becoming it very is no difficult, longer yeah. as easy as you would think i would say i think the quality of brewing has gone up so dramatically in the last few years that they're just finding a way to keep these aromas manageable when you warm them up, they don't perform in the way that you think they would. So I'm going around, you know, my students, I'm going, so can everyone just put your hand up if you thought this was a negative transformation? And I'm expecting everyone to put their hands up and suddenly it's going, well, no, I actually like this. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my that. God, it's happened again. A, it's a getting, problem And this have. number is increasing. Mm. It's getting really, really difficult. You can't just go out and just pick a, a gym. What were you doing? A kabota gym, my daiginjo the other day. Yeah. I, I, was, I would swear to you that this would not work warm. And yet, Half of half yeah. of my students said that we'd be okay. They they thought it was okay. So mm. you're saying more and more ginjo grade sake are brewed in a way that they retain exactly. their characteristic aroma yeah. despite the heat. Exactly. I think they're doing something with the flavor profile that balances the aroma out, even when the aroma. I like to use the word collapses because that's kind of what mm. happens. It just but flattens. something comes in and balances things out. Mm. That's what I'm finding. Yeah, and it alters. I was yeah, I did something recently as well too. Or something it was kind of across the board. Served at four temperatures. It was compl- split completely across the room. It was something that was like, this is a straight up. You'd serve this ten degrees, give or take. It's, it was something that was like a given, and all the way across the board, everybody had different preferences for it. And you're mm-hmm. starting to see more and more of that. Um, we've talked about it a little bit more on the show. Is different styles of different things that the the paradigm is starting to shift on those. So something yeah. labeled a Jumai Ginjo might actually be something that is really it's not quite as in your face something that's very subtle and you warm that up to 40 45 degrees or something yeah and it's just lovely it turns into something that completely yeah. that shows you a face that it didn't have and before and 40 it's to 45 is, is definitely the safe zone right? for that if for you that want to try you want to try yeah. out try with the 40 45 don't go straight up to 55 because go can't really guarantee with that that yeah. might seriously destroy the the, the sake or you know it'll lose its elegance for sure in it but mm. 40 45 definitely and you couldn't go there before yeah temperature definitely. management is absolutely crucial and i think mm. if you want to deliver a good kanzake yep. i mean any sake can be warmed up like we talked about yep. but before we go deeper in this topic of temperatures yeah. because yeah. i understand that you know temperature management in kanzake is crucial yeah mm. 
maybe we should step back and give our audience in the States yeah. a bit of a temperature reference. I was just going to go there. Yeah, Celsius. we keep talking about Celsius, <laughs> right? Frank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like uh, an easy way to deal with a bunch of these is just to basically double any number that we say and then add 32. Right. Leave it up to you guys. So you I and then you subtract a couple of degrees. So if it's if we're talking okay. Nurukang, yeah, then you double it eighty, add thirty-two, right? So you're up one hundred and ten about degrees Fahrenheit, right? And that's a good way to. So if you keep that calculation in mind, you can anything we say. And and Justin and I, who are two, we're the two resident gringos over here, yeah. mm. and we're fully fully ingrained ingrained in degrees celsius like i don't yeah, even yeah, think yeah. in fahrenheit yeah. anymore just been in japan yeah. long yeah, enough always, yeah whenever i whenever i do something in the u.s i usually it's right before a president i'm going oh shoot i have to convert all this. i got it yeah, yeah. i have to change all my all my You're slides like, back yeah. translate yeah. We'll, we'll run down the scale here real yeah. quick um, yeah give people the scale so there so there is a quote-unquote official um temperature scale um each of these um, temperature ranges has its own individual name. So it's essentially a, a nine step scale, 10 if you add room temperature in there at about mm. 20 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Um, the hottest being at 55 degrees. And yes. then it base, and then it goes down five degrees in five, five degrees, degree increments yeah. from there. So, so the highest being what they say, Tobikirikan, which is 55 and above. Atsukan, which is about 50 degrees. Jokan at 45. Nurukan at 40, which tends to be popular right now. 35 is what they call Hitohadakan, 30 Hinatakan. And so mm, those are going to yeah. be all the grades or the levels in the range in the warm or too hot mm. sake. You got room temperature at 20, um, and then you get down into the chilled temperatures. So you got what they call Hanahie at 15, yeah. um, Suzuhie at 10, yeah. and Yukihie at 5. Um, yeah. And then those are, those are the official ones. There are some other terms other places use for lower and higher temperatures that are off the scale, but nothing that's really in the common lexicon. These names actually, even though they sound very poetic and mm. very super old school, mm. they're actually really recent. Yeah. So like Nurukan or like a couple of these have been in the lexicon for a long time and or like Atsukan that there's, there's that kanji, those in a pair have existed for a long time. Mm. But all these other names were actually introduced by uh, Sawanotsuru uh, down in Hyogo together with um, the uh, Sake Service Institute when they were developing the curriculum for Kikizakeshi and things like that. I don't remember the date. It was like in the 80s or 90s. I can't remember exactly. I want to say it was like the early 90s maybe. I think. That's right. I yeah. think. Um, and so basically they proposed this different terminology and it became common form in that and I it became standardized. Nurukan, Jokan, and Atsukan already existed perhaps. No? I'd, I'd have to look. I don't, I don't have one in front of me. Sure but either, there's, but... I, I think that they, they proposed two or three of them on the cold end and like two or three of them on the hot end um, oh, and helped. Okay. Um, and they put that into the lexicon. That just kind of became common wow. now, even though it's only been around now for probably 20 years or something like that. It's It feels like something that's been around since the Edo period, but it's, it's yeah. actually super, um, yeah, very recent. Go. So, so then back to your your question of sakes that, that don't go. So there was yeah. one example that isn't quite as true all across the board mm -hmm. as it as it used to be. Um, another one that often there's a lot of uh, misconception around is namazake, yeah, uh, unpasteurized sake. Yeah. Uh, I would say in and so there's kind of a caveat to mm. that, and that's aging. Yeah, I was going to say mm. yeah, fresh namazake. No. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of the fresh um. Nama, and again, not with all cases, tends to, once you hit it, you get bitterness. It just kind of comes yeah. apart. It just 
turns into this sort of like gravelly train wreck in a lot of um in a lot of instances and so because of that and because it's numb and it has this image of freshness um a lot of the again the education around that is nama sake is not to be served warm Mm -hmm. or hot um however and then this gets goes sort of dovetails into styles of sake with aging irrespective of whether it's pasteurized or non-pasteurized when you add the element of aging into that all of a sudden you become you develop a sake that is much more well suited for the application of heat yeah. um, and you get sake that um tends to travel in a nice trajectory um some of you, the best experiences i've had with warm sake have been recently have yep. been with koshu or yeah you know, yep. say, oh yeah mine yeah. too absolutely yeah. they're one of the most transformative and beautiful yeah types of sake to explore with especially with heating them up uh, it's one thing to enjoy koshu or jukseishu matured sake at room temperature and just seeing their transformation compared to their original selves mm. but it's another thing entirely to just give it a little love and a little heat and see just how they mm. kind of come out you know and then blossom into this beautiful velvety silky yeah. tart and yeah. sweet and all yeah, the, nutty, the nutty nuttiness, flavors. coffee yeah. flavors. Yeah. Which are hiding, you know. Yeah. Definitely. I said, and that's just a paradigm that just didn't even exist not no. all that long ago. And that's really sort of, really has changed the game a lot as yeah. to what's possible with um, heating sake. Um, taruzake tends to be pretty decent warm. Yeah. That being said, taruzake, just as a style, tends to be mostly still honjozo or futsushu, which that's is true. fine. Yeah. Uh, most of the stuff that's on the market just tends to still be that because there's such mm. this defined image of what that sake is. Um, however, if you get beyond that, you start, there's some great, you know, Jumais or Yamahais that are, you know, Tarazaki yeah. that are really, really fantastic. Um, so that tends to be one that's interesting in that category that can go super chilled or or nice and warm. Not so much style, but just looking at sweet and dry, they can both be amazing warmed up. However, one thing you do uh, start to see with sweeter sakes, once you start to get above 40, 45 degrees, a lot of those tend to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start, you tend to see that in a lot of the, even even in the bolder, like the Yamahais or the Kimotos or the mm-hmm. Namas that have been aged, you've got the sweetness in there, those in that full bodiness that at a little bit lower temperature, around 40 degrees or so, really, really lovely. However, if you try and pull those up above, 50 degrees or up to 55 or something, they'll, they'll really start to fall apart yeah. in a lot of cases. And right. it's that sweetness, it's that glucose in there that doesn't play well at those really, really high temperatures. Whereas now you have some really dry sakes um, and dry in ways that you didn't even see mm. even during the Karakuchi era when they were really into dry sake, these sakes that are super dry. If you're looking at sake meter values at plus 10, 12, 10, 15, mm. 17, you know, things like that. But the acidities in those and the balance of those are just such a different so so different from what existed before that they don't necessarily taste as dry as they actually are mm. and those things you can crank them up to 50 55 60 65 in some cases yeah it's challenging to find the right sweet spot for yeah. for a good kanzake mm. and unfortunately we don't have a hard and fast equation or rule no. you know there is no okay, you know, you warm it up to this temperature and divide it by two and then multiply it by three. Yeah. Um, I wish we had an equation, mm. but we don't. And we, that's the beauty and the challenge of kanzake. We have like this. So basically, if a sake um, has 
characteristics which we be considered to transform in a positive way we call it a can agari mm. right now i'm not sure how relevant this term still is in this day and age but oh it's super, super yeah. relevant yeah so i think generally it's an it's um commonly like agreed that acidity doesn't change actually like the acidity level doesn't change okay so that will stay the same so generally the negative things decrease right so when you warm the sake up bitterness goes down sharpness any sharp corners any kind of jagged corners to the sake disappear um generally the alcohol becomes more pronounced but generally i think sake gets sweeter as you warm it up now, i can't always confess that's the case so it I does the general it it does and and it usually peaks right at around mm. 40 degrees or so or just yeah. prior and then it goes into decline that's right yeah um yeah. after that yeah so that's why like we say the safe temperature is around 40 45 once yeah. you cross that 45 line just be prepared things might change quite rapidly yep. from then on so the other one which is a great concern to me um and i think people who are trying to pair sake with food is umami yeah i mean sake generally is a very food friendly beverage but mm. wait until you warm them up and it's just a whole new world of pairability mm. and especially some of the more aged sake or mature sake just comes packed with like mushroomy earthiness or yeah. savoriness that goes perfectly with food and also because of the temperature it plays well with fattier food mm. in a colder sake or a colder drink paired with warmer fattier food in your mouth mm -hmm. the fat tends to coagulate quicker mm -hmm. so the texture is less silky the overall yeah. texture yeah. of the mariage mm -hmm. between the food and the drink mm -hmm. but with a warmer beverage in your mouth whilst you're having a warm fatty dish the fat stays liquid oh i did longer. not know that so result you just mm. get this nicer creamier silkier texture generally that makes a lot yeah. of sense yeah yeah, that yeah that's sense. one of the reasons why I just can't get enough of yeah. kanzake. Yeah, totally. That's why I'm always ordering really fatty things when I'm having warm sake. Well, and there so you go. There's that in the so, so, no, so there's actually a bit of terminology that actually it doesn't pop up that much. Have you heard like uh deishikan onshikan? Yeah, I haven't heard of this actually. I'll be honest with you. So it's a textbooky so term. It's it's a it's a textbooky it's a textbooky term, but I think it's relevant and kind of to what you're talking to as well. And it's kind of it's basically referring to the acidity and sort of the umami constituents and the ones that play out specifically at different temperatures the for the deishikan literally chilled umami mm. acidity mm. is literally how it's written uh, yeah, yeah and that yeah. tends to be a lot more like malic acid and things ah, like that okay. tend to be more prevalent wine. you get a lot more in wine as well yeah the warm the onshikan literally warm umai, umami umami oh, i know what this one is acidity yeah that is playing off lactic acid, yeah, lactic acid, succinic acid, which is why Kimoto and Yamahai exactly. So well. And okay. these tend to be tied really tied to umami driven, mm. you know, lactic acids that, that, that are mm. become prevalent at, at high temperature. Mm. Um, and so, and that then plays when you're talking about food pairings and things like that as well, too. Um, ties to say, for if when you're looking at say pairings, things of similar similar styles that have similar mm. properties, when you're talking about say pairing with those fattier foods mm. or that mm. that yakitori or when then you add spice to it you add sancho you add wasabi um those types of things together with warmer sake um and those more umami driven flavors that's when you get uh, a yeah. lot of the magic happening mm. and then the reverse at chilled temperatures things with um citrus more mm. you know lighter flavors um sashimi is a bit tricky because yeah, you can kind of go there's better for one you can go both sashimi depending on where you're going a lot more there's a lot more dimensions um, to sashimi than yeah. Like, it's not quite as simple as it seems. Yeah. I but. associate 
you know, fattier fish like booty yeah. with a warm nurukan. So oh, it's so really heavenly. good. It's really, but really good. think about it. Like that with a chilled sake, instantly the grease can feel a bit True. more grainy in your yeah. mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unless you pick a sake which is very high acidity, you might get away with mm, it. Maybe, yeah. Cuts really but, good. you know, but cold yeah. sake can go well with like fried food, for example. Yeah, yeah. Because um, vegetable oil or yeah. olive oil. Yeah. Um, Kimoto and mac and cheese. I don't know why that just popped into my head. Kimoto, Kimoto and, and mac and cheese. Have we ever tried that? Should Absolutely. we try that? Mm. Yeah. With a touch of wasabi in there. Yeah. Like spring, <laughs> yeah. Sprinkle some sancho yeah. on top or something. so hungry. <laughs> See, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. That, that's that probably eventually. telling us something. That's probably yeah. telling us it's about time to probably motivate. Mm. I guess, yeah. Uh, and last thing, just kind of wrap it up. Again, there's this misconception that warm sake is bad sake that tends to still be pretty prevalent. It tends to still really be out there in a lot of education, both formal and non-formal. Um, it's something that sort of fell out of fashion here in Japan for a while. And then as sake started making its way overseas, the sake that was generally introduced was were these, you know, the Skinjo style sakes or a type of sake that was very, that was defined by the times, those times were defined by a very specific style of sake that hadn't, and again, at that point, really existed um, previous to that. And those were well-suited for being, for drinking chilled. Um, and so that sort of that definition of premium sake became very much associated with something that was sort of hyper-specific to that time. And that's what a lot of the education, a lot of those things were built upon. And along with that, the sake that started making its way overseas were a lot of those types of, types of sakes. Um, well, at the same time, there was this sort of idea that if you warm up bad sake, it makes it good or more tolerable. It's not necessarily wrong. A long time ago, when you're looking way back hundreds of years ago, that's probably one of the reasons that they would do that. Remember also, though, that the sake they were making 300 to 300, the, sake, the kimoto they were making 300 years ago versus <laughs> the one they were making you know, today, that's an entirely different beast. So heating up a kimoto that was made 300 years ago in order to maybe possibly mask some of those flavors versus doing it now. It's for a very, very different reason. There are a lot of producers, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are more than a handful of producers that craft either specific sake in their portfolio or their entire lineup under the assumption that you're going to serve it warm. When it comes to really defining sake, Nihonshu is something on its own terms that is really unique um, as its own category and the potential from a, a service standpoint, as well as from a, I don't know if I'm a chef from a culinary standpoint, mm. what that can offer me, it's it's a pretty it's amazing world. It's another dimension in an it already is. very magical formula, right? It is that it will is. unlock one of the other potentials of sake, you know. And, and as you said in an earlier podcast, in the, one of the previous podcasts, um, you know, it's how sake stands on its own two yeah. feet, right? Yeah. Against all these other, rather than trying to copy, trying other, to ape something ape, else. Yeah. That's it. Rather than trying yeah. to ape other beverages, this is where sake really stands on its own. Yep. Right. I said, and it, well, what's also important is that in in the advocacy of warm sake, it's an advocacy with the presence of chilled sake. Right. It's the fact yeah. that you have both that makes it really special. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. The fact that you're able to play yeah. with all of these you things together. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so being able to work that that yeah. breadth of those. I mean, this whole like kanzake, I guess, renaissance for the lack of a better word, yeah. Yeah, that's totally come that. about like in that. the past several years is only because and thanks because of and thanks to this whole 
idea of diversity and inclusivity yeah. in yeah. the world of sake. I mean, before, we, like you said earlier, we used to have this more singular sort of objective of Ginjo Supremes over yeah. everything. Yeah. But and even before that, just what is correct? There right. was a very singular but definition. It, just, of what it, just all come, it just all comes down to trying to play play it safe, for want of a better word. You know, there was risk involved. If you mm. start warming up a Ginjo in service, you know, and... and it could get you in trouble, you know, yep. if it goes wrong. So it was, you know, it was about providing a service which was consistent yep. and risk-free, which is super important. Which Con- is important. Consistency and quality yeah. is super important. Yeah. But, 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 but experimentation right? can be fun. Perhaps we ventures. Perhaps very we're ready rewarding. To, right? yeah. 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 I mean, we talked about the presence of Okanban and mm. how they used to have this, mm. you know, position, I guess, in our society and in our mm. culinary scene. And that's kind of come gone out of fashion mm. in the past um, couple decades, mm. uh, which which is recently coming back. And it's so reassuring to know that Okanban, like a position specifically designated to just managing and monitoring the temperatures of sake mm. was such a integral part like it's a it's a part of the dna of what sake yeah. is yep. yeah and it's so reassuring to know that and to be able to to kind of come back to the roots mm. or to come yeah. back to the basics of what sake is in this whole like kanzake 2.0 yeah. era yeah totally and that's and what's really interesting is the a lot of the folks that have really come to really help redefine what that can look like mm. they're not sake sommeliers they're no. not they're just people who have dedicated so much time and energy to the service and experimentation and the research yeah. it's there's there's no there's, there's no certification for these people they haven't gone to seek out the certification it doesn't exist it's not even in their you know it's not something they think it's something they've just dedicated themselves to and they've really transformed the landscape and so yeah a future honestly something in the future for Konzak is coming up with some sort of a, um, whether it's a certification or not, some sort of a way of communicating from a service standpoint as well too, different types of standards and, and rules and things like that, that people could then train in because it's, it's not yeah. out there aside from going into one of these places and training under somebody. It's really, it's not, I think, you know, the best word to describe the perfect kind of Kanzaki service for me is holistic. Mm. It's holistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best service should be. And that's not easy to pull off. It's not easy to pull off. It's not easy to pull off. It's quite magical when you come across it. Mm. Right? Agreed. Should we tap out? I think it's time. I think it's time. I think we we kill it. We've reached Toby Kitty. Yeah, we're just about, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Um, Chris, Christopher, Mm. Marie, thank you. That was fun. Thank you. Thank you. And kind of tasty. Um, It was. That's been another episode of Saki on Air. And if you could kindly take a moment to rate, review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you are listening to us on, that would be amazing. You can send us messages, comments, feedback at questions at Sake on Air, or if you look for at Sake on Air on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And we're on YouTube as well. Um, it's not super visual, but you can listen to us there. So if you need something to um, turn on uh, at work or something in the background, it, uh, it absolutely works. And Sake on Air is made possible with the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center here in Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potsuke Productions with editing and sound production by a Mr. Frank Walter. With that, 
We're off. We're off. Come by. We're going to find something to fill these with. Yeah. <laughs>